Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Brian, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We do this by educating pet parents about the importance of getting a pet trust for their loved pet, and we also provide trustee services. You can learn more about getting a pet trust at Act for Pets ACT fourpets.org. Today, I am so totally happy to introduce you to our special guest. Her name is Kristen Baltram, and she is the founder of Annie and Millie's Place. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. And I, I can't wait to tell um, the listeners all about you. Um, Kristen has a Master of Arts from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and has served for almost three decades in Christian public leadership. Following the death of her sister, Annie, who experienced homelessness with her dog, Millie, Kristen started Annie and Millie's Place as an outreach to those who are often denied services due to their unwillingness to surrender their animal. Kristen's own transformation story of understanding how important the human-animal bond is for those whose home is the streets inspires her to help others have the same change of heart. Through her willingness to speak openly about the struggles her family underwent, she hopes their story can be a change agent in human animal services. Kristen and her husband, Rob, have two adult children and currently live in Colorado with their two English bulldogs. And we have so much to learn about Annie and Millie's place that I can't wait for you to tell us, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Annie was your sister. Um, and Millie was her dog. And so this is a, um, this is a story of, um, sadness, but also one of hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Annie was my older sister and Millie was her constant companion, her four-legged family, uh, that she had with her, her pup. And um, their story is one of togetherness. And one of the hashtags we use is in togetherness because we believe in uh, the human animal bond and all that they provided for each other, as well as uh, it's a story of family. Annie was my sister and um, we have another sister as well, but you know, she was part of who we are and who we became and definitely taking her story of trauma and tragedy and our family's story and turning that into a story of hope for others is a big part of our purpose. So something that people probably don't think about is the issue that um, people who are homeless face when they have animals that they love. Um, Right. I mean, we often see people that we might think to be homeless who might be on the side of the road um, trying to ask for money and they sometimes have a dog or a cat or um, few animals with them and 
um, it is always heartbreaking, but can, can you tell us the instance of homelessness with pets? Like the statistics for numbers? Yeah. Or, mm -hmm. yeah it's anywhere, according to the last point in time report, um, which interestingly enough, doesn't actually ask for specifics, but it's been estimated between five and 25% of people experiencing homelessness have an animal companion of some sort, whether that's an a uh, service animal or an emotional support or what you and I would consider to be a pet, um, you know, an uncertified animal that, that we care for that's part of our family system in some level. So anywhere between five and 25 is pretty significant when you think about it. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I, I don't even know, and maybe you do, but what is the incidence of homelessness just in general in the United States today? I don't know what the percentages are, but I know on the um, the latest reports, uh, it's on our website. There, there were, you know, a few hundred thousand, uh, more than one hundred thousand, like three hundred thousand people. So I, I don't even remember the exact statistic right now, but um, I know it's it's increasing. As far as the housing crisis goes, there's more people at risk sure. of becoming homeless because they're literally one paycheck away or one one car accident or one veterinary bill away from not being able to pay their rent or their mortgage, which then puts them at great risk of homelessness. So at the same point that um, numbers, I think, during the COVID pandemic actually went down because more shelters opened up, knowing that uh, this was like this world crisis, now we have more people at risk of becoming homeless. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, well, needless to say, the numbers are large and um, not decreasing at the moment. Not decreasing. So, yeah. No. And, and the same is true for our homeless pets. I mean, those numbers are going up as well. They tended to go down during um, the pandemic because people were at home. But now that people are returning to work, we're seeing a return of many of those animals back to a shelter environment. Right, um, right. I can only imagine if I was homeless, I would want at least three or four or all six of my dogs and my Absolutely. two cats and my four Absolutely. horses, right? <laughs> right. Um, I would be quite the sight, I think. Um, but it's certainly, um, yeah, I think it's something that people don't think about. So I really am very just, honored and amazed that you have taken on this challenge because it's a big one. Um, I know you operate predominantly in the Longmont, Colorado area, yes. um, but you're bringing this awareness to all of us. Yes, we're currently based in Longmont, um, which is in Boulder County. So we kind of, there's a corridor between like Fort Collins in Northern Colorado and Boulder, um, just a little bit south of us. And there's a quarter of traffic uh, between those two big cities. So we kind of are stretching into those areas. Uh, we would love to see this model expand uh, in many other communities uh, across the nation. Since we're only about two years old, we're trying to figure out how best to do it here so that we can teach others how to do it as well. Um, there's 
there is a lot to accomplish while there's great services for humans experiencing homelessness and there's great animal welfare organizations out there. Sometimes it's about connecting the dots between the two. And that's what we're really trying to identify is what's missing from this connection that honors the human animal bond that can serve both the, the person and the animal together at the same time. Sure. Well, and before the show, you were telling me about a specific incident, a gentleman who was able to actually turn his life around because yeah. of services that were provided. Why don't you share that with us? I'd love to share that story. So we met uh, this gentleman and his then eight-week-old puppy at a clinic. One of the things that that we realized we could do is there's a great organization called the Street Dog Coalition. And they provide free veterinary care for animals whose home is the street. And we hosted their organization doing a clinic here in Longmont. And this gentleman and his eight-week-old puppy came and she got her vaccines. She got a bunch of food and he was fed as well. But it was lots of hospitality for both the animals and the humans. And we um, built a relationship with him where then he had our organization's phone number. So a few months later, he happened to um, get arrested and uh, his animal was taken by animal control, but he was allowed to call and he called our number. And because he made that connection and had our phone number, we were able to reclaim uh, his dog. And then in working with the Long Mountain Humane Society, we were able to get her into a foster home. And then a couple of weeks later, when he was released, he got his dog back, which was really life-saving for him. And during the time that um, they were apart, the foster mom had located him in an address where she could send pictures to him to assure him that his dog was fine and that he'd be getting his dog back, which gave him hope while he was apart from her. And then uh, they were reunified. And that was a, a very emotional moment for everybody involved because there was a risk when he had uh, been taken away from his dog that the, his dog would have been rehomed um, had he not had somebody to call and reclaim reclaim her for him. So the fact that he got his dog back, he built this trusted relationship with us and through the foster family so that later when he knew that there was an, a ticket out that he needed to clear by spending just a couple more weeks um, in jail, he proactively coordinated with me to turn his dog over to this foster home who went back to the same home and uh, brought the she took care of the dog and he looked at me and said, I never thought I'd turn myself in or swore I would never turn myself in, but I guess I'm turning a new leaf instead. And so he got to be proactive about uh, clearing that ticket. And then when he again was released, he was reunited with his dog and together now they're homed and safe and he doesn't need to worry about that anymore. And he's able to continue forward in um in his path to really turning that leaf over and going, um, you know, into the new life that he wants to create for himself. Yeah. I think that's just such a great story. And, and it's a story that would have never happened if not inspired by um, your sister, Annie and her dog, Millie. Right. And, and right. talk about um, the ways that Millie supported Annie and Annie supported Millie. Right. Well, when Annie was experiencing homelessness, she had a choice of um, going into a shelter to receive safe shelter or staying with her dog. Where she was 
homeless. She did not, they did not have any co-sheltering opportunities. So she was homeless from January to July in um, Kentucky. And there just wasn't that resource there. So we know that she was cold and when she was outside, but when she would sleep in a park or whatever, we know that Millie was right there with her and we are sure that they kept each other warm. I also, in some of the random conversations that I had with her along the way, I know she had said things like, well, I'm going to do everything I can because I need to feed my dog or I need to take care of my dog. My dog needs me, which gave her a sense of purpose and companionship along the way that gave her hope and responsibility and something to count on and um, somebody who would always be by her side. And as difficult as it was for our family to walk that fine line between enabling and empowering, there were times that we had to say no to the things that Annie would ask of us. And we know that Millie looked at Annie and said yes every time. That whenever Annie wanted to go sleep in a park or sleep over here or do this or go here or whatever, that Millie would just say yes in Millie's own little way and and travel alongside Annie. So at the same time that Annie provided for Millie and provided that space of companionship and love and, and care and protection, we really believe that Millie provided all of that for Annie as well, When especially when we could not as her family. Of course. And what kind of dog was Millie? We think that she was a mutt. Okay. I don't actually know where she got, where Annie got Millie uh, or exactly how long she had her. I know she had her for a number of years, but in the, just a couple of pictures that we have from her, she's some sort of mix of all the things. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Um, so if you were able to solve this problem by just clicking your fingers, what would you see happen in this world to resolve this issue related to um, homelessness and, and people who are homeless who have pets? Yes. The biggest thing is to be able to have that safe shelter, safe overnight shelter when it's cold or when it's hot. And that's for the safety of both the animal and the human to be able to have access to safe housing um, and with that, we know that it's complicated because it's, it needs to not just be safe for the person and with their animal, but safe for the people who don't have animals for whatever reasons they don't have them. So to have shelter services that can accommodate both those who, who don't have nor want nor can have animals nearby, but also to allow space for for the person with the animal companion to be. I imagine a space that uh, I'm, I know comes with all of its complications and I'm sure we could list them all, but what would it be like to have private rooms secured of some room where the animal doesn't have to go into a cage to sleep next to their person? It's if you imagine an animal who's loose or is used to being outside all day long and then has to come in and, and be in a cage that could be anxiety. Oh, um, very traumatic. Absolutely. Yeah. There's some who might find it safe and cozy. My dogs love to be, you know, in their tight little spaces, but they're also homed. So they're used to, you know, what that means for them. Um, but what would that be like for 
the animal to not have to all of a sudden be in a cage? And what would that be like for somebody to have their animals sleep with them inside instead of just outside? Yeah. Um, so to create some sort of space where the, the facility would expand to meet the needs at the same point, provide the safety that's necessary for all involved. So it's, it's a complicated issue, but I'm a big believer that just because there may be quote a problem, it's just the flip side of a solution. And we right. need to be working toward that solution side. Well, there's so much creativity out there that um, I'm sure that you will find the answer to that. Thank um, you. <laughs> tell us about some of your programs. Sure. One of our programs is this foster care program that I was referring to earlier with the Longmont Humane Society. We, we ourselves don't provide the foster care or do that, but we um, help fill out the intake paperwork to take some of that um, time off of the foster team and provide as much information as we can for the foster team to discern whether or not they do have an appropriate home for the animal that's in need, because not all homes are appropriate for all animals, which we understand as well. But we are working with them to expand how many homes are available. So using our story to talk about how actually life-saving this foster care work is and trying to expand the number of safe keep homes in our community. Another one of our programs is our veterinary care program. We work in uh, partnership with the Street Dog Coalition to provide space for them to come do clinics. Um, and with that, we're their newly formed Boulder team. We do an outreach with an, another organization called Feet Forward that provides services once a week, clothing, food, all sorts of things. So we show up and, and bring all the pet supplies to that outreach event. And once a month, the Boulder team of the Street Dog Coalition comes and provides spay neuter vouchers, uh, vaccinations, microchipping, all the things. And um does some good veterinary care. We also are on call for people who have an emergency situation where they need emergency veterinary care. And through our Annie's Assistance Fund, we're able to offset or pay for in total the cost of veterinary care for people who would not be able to afford that care. So that seems to be a very important topic these days too, is it, the cost yes. of veterinary care. The cost of veterinary care is absolutely huge. And some of these people are one, one veterinary bill away from losing their home. So uh, if we can help help people stay stay housed, that helps reduce, reduce homelessness, yeah. right? Um, but that the cost of veterinary care is huge. And sometimes it's an urgent visit cost twice as much as like a regular appointment that you would oh, have me because yes. it's an urgent visit visit but that urgent visit could sometimes be preventative in terms of something turning into an emergency we just actually help somebody who um went in for an urgent visit but she did not have the 130 dollars for that urgent appointment so she walked out but then three days later her dog was near death and she brought the dog back and so that was when we were notified and we were able to to um through some generous support we're able to provide the the total cost of that dog's care but it was over a thousand dollars so what could have been handled proactively at 130 cost over a thousand because it turned into an emergency. So right. being able to identify what can be dealt with proactively is almost 
I would say more important than than the emergency care because we could avoid some of those emergencies. So absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. Being through generous donations, we've been able to to do as much of that, not as much as we wish we could, because there's great need out there. And of course, the emergencies that happen never happen during office hours. They're always in the middle of the night and need to, you know, be decided right then. So I absolutely know that to be a fact. It only <laughs> happen on nights, weekends, and holidays. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which then has at a cost as well, which makes sense because the clinic has to extend their hours or stay open or, you know, the people who work there need to be paid fairly as well. We understand that, but it does multiply the cost on all, all the levels. And it's, um, I just was talking today to somebody who had to relinquish uh, their, their cat because they could not afford the emergency surgery that the cat needed. So these situations become really difficult to navigate simply because of the cost. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I see that you have lots of events on your um, website at um, Annie and Millie's place dot org. So it's just Annie and Millie's dot org. Annie, yeah, Annie and Millie's dot org. Yeah. Yes. The place right now, we didn't put in our URL just because it's shorter for people to do Annie and yes. Millie's. But also because we don't have a physical brick and mortar place, we're really holding that word place as a place in our hearts that um, is connecting the dots between all of these organizations. And uh, so right now we just, we had shortened the URL, but annieandmillies.org. I think is, that's perfect. Is, and and if yeah. you, if you can't type it properly, you can just type in Annie and Millie and it'll pop up. Um, and it'll come. <laughs> yes. yes, it will. Absolutely. Well, I love that you have all these events. Please tell our listeners how they can help Kristen. Wonderful. Well, going to annieandmillies.org slash donate. There's a couple of different ways to donate. We are accepting donations specifically for the veterinary fund that we talked about, how big that is. That's our Annie's Assistance Fund. You can donate there. You can also donate at any of our partner organizations that are listed on the bottom of our website. We believe that we're all doing the work together. Uh, hashtag in togetherness is one of our, our big things that we say all the time. So if you donate to us or to any of our partners, we're all doing the work together and it makes a big difference along the way. We also know that some people would like to donate and remember maybe their own pet and we honor that as well. And there is a place to leave a memorial or an honorarium uh, to note what your donation is for there as well. I love that. Um so yeah, there's always lots of ways to help. And if you are living in the uh, Boulder Longmont area, of course they can always volunteer at the Longmont Humane Society to be a foster. Sure. Um, I feel like and, this would yeah. be a really worthy foster event um, opportunity for folks that really are maybe afraid of being a foster fail, but now they know that there is actually a person that this animal belongs to and it's just very temporary. Absolutely. And I know Absolutely. one of your fosters said Look at that, it in right? terms of, yeah, yeah. Looking at, looking at it in terms of supporting a whole family, being able to stay together is, is really, really meaningful uh, for the work that's being, that's being done through our foster families. And if you're in the Boulder County area or Longmont area, we do have a need for it volunteers who show up at some of our events and clinics. We also have some behind the scenes volunteering type stuff that would need to be done if you're 
um, into data tracking and things like that. Um, some stuff that can be done right from home that would be super helpful to support the work that's being done. Uh, also for education and advocacy, there's lots of opportunities to help be some of our storytellers in the community that uh, really talk about the importance of the human-animal bond in circumstances of homelessness. So there's lots of ways to connect either with your resources or with your time or with your your person. So I remember once upon a time, I was teaching a workshop on estate planning for pets, and I had a gentleman reach out to me who happened to be a homeless man, and he mm-hmm. wanted to buy a life insurance policy to make sure that he there was going to be resources available for his dog if something happened to him and that just made me so happy that he was so aware of wanting to provide for his pet long term i just thought that was beautiful yep so well yeah one speaks to the fact that this, this is his family right absolutely yes we buy life insurance to protect our family right so um, that's one of the things right. that I talk to folks about when we're talking about how do how do you create um, resources for the lifetime care of your pets and uh, life insurance is one way to do that. And, um, you know, uh-huh. it can be an inexpensive option um, for some people. So I just say, don't wait too long. Right. Right. Gotta do it while right. we're young Absolutely. and healthy. Um, so big <laughs> shout out right. to to you and to Annie and Millie's place and all the work that you're doing in in um, keeping families together, uh, pets and their people. And I, I really appreciate that. And I, I hope our listeners will um, support you and go to annieandmillies.org and provide whatever support they can. And I would invite each of our listeners Thank to you. join us each and every week here on All My Children Wear Fur Coats. My personal motto, until there are none, please adopt one. And until next time. Happy tales. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet. We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales.